Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Best of Mornings with Matt White right here on SEN. On Monday, a new show kicked off, The Roundup, with Matt White and Matty Johns. The boys kicked off the week discussing the CBA negotiations. Let's get into the CBA negotiations. So where do you think this is at, Matty, and where do you think it's going to end? Because I, I think this is crunch time now. We're, we're less yeah. than a month away. As you say, the preseason's already about to get underway. Something's got to give. Matty, this is, a, this is really tough. The, the players and everybody... Uh, walks a tightrope with this because players should players deserve to get what they can because NRL stands for not real long right and the other thing is the price you pay physically and other factors that are involved so I, I I'm completely with the players as far as you know their slice of the pie on the other side of the coin I always do believe that you you should leave a little bit in the well for the next generation if that makes sense and I always think about blokes like you know, Ray Price and Brett Kenny, who honestly, some of the greatest players of all time that played for not a real lot. Um, so it's very, very difficult. It, 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 I can, they're butting heads because Peter Volandis is a guy who won't be bullied. I just wonder if they can't come to the agreement if the players will actually strike. I'm not sure about it. That doesn't do anyone any favours. Uh, we went through a Super League era where the players were painted as being greedy and there was a disconnection with the fans. You know, and... and, and I remember during that era, Matty, was do you remember the playing cards yep. made a reemergence, mm. and that, they came out. Of, they reemerged about nineteen ninety three, and the Super League war happened, and yeah, they were trying to monetize everything, and a lot of the players came out and said, "Hey, listen, when with the playing cards, don't sign them. We'll do them as a group, and then divvy up the money." And I, I, I rejected that because I mean, what are you doing? You finish a game, you, you know, and you walk out of the dressing room, and there's a little kid there, six year old, with a playing card. What do you say? No, mate, can't do that. We're going to uh, pool our money together. <laughs> yeah. So that's just an example of you, you've just got to you've just got to be really careful because regardless of the money that comes into rugby league, at the essence of rugby league is it's a working men's game. Have the players? Do you think lost? the publicity war in this one? And how much do you think the publicity war plays into what happens in the negotiating room? Well, people don't read the fine print, Matt. Yeah, that's that's the thing. All people are hearing is uh, they are – because there is so much that has been going on that I think it's been – as you said, it's been lost. We're like, okay, so where are we at the moment? What what are they after? What What's been given? Did it get increased to 12.1? Didn't it? Okay, what's happening with the NRLW? Where Where is it? And so it's been, it's been difficult. It's, I always talk to people. I was talking to a couple of young guys about that they were going in to negotiate something and totally away from sport. And they asked, you know, because you, know, you go in there and um, I had a singer looking after me. But a lot of times when I do my stuff, I just do it myself now. you just got to have the hide to ask for more than you're worth. And if they say yes, then beauty. But you don't go into a negotiation hoping to win 100 nil. You've got to work out the things that are non-negotiable, that are really important to you, and then you just write down a few things that aren't important at all and let them have a little victory, right? Mm-hmm. That's much easier. But I don't know where it's actually at. Are they losing 
the publicity battle, possibly. If they can, there is so much excitement about the season. If they can come, if they can, if they can work it out, it'll all be forgotten very, very quickly. But you don't want to strike. Give me your understanding then on how the game operates from uh, from a player level, from a club signing level, from um, say your young bloke going to a new club and trying to get a deal done there when there isn't a salary cap that's been ratified. Last week. Liam Martin signed an extension with the Panthers and the Panthers CEO came out and said, we're looking forward to further discussions because it was only the one year and we're looking forward to further discussions now that Mm. the salary cap has been ratified. I double-checked. It hasn't been ratified. Mm. It's one part of this CBA negotiation. So how does that actually work? And is there there a, a fault process that may be down the track here that if you're starting to do deals based on a number that you think is going to happen, then it gets yeah. nasty in that room and that number backtracks. Yes. You can't go to a player and say, we, we told you we're going to give you 500. Yes. We're now giving you 400 because the salary cap's now 12, not 12.1. My younger bloke was so excited when he heard the news that the cap was going up 25%. And I said, well, mate, that's fantastic. What do you get an extra 150 bucks, even what you're on? But, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's – you're right, Matt. It's it's really hard. You, you've got to be really careful with these things as far as assumptions are concerned. And a lot of clubs do. They assume it's going to go up like this, so they promise players things behind the scenes. And if it doesn't happen, then, yeah, it's going to be a lot of broken hearts. Do you think that they should put strike action on the table in terms of at least a threat? Not at least a threat or perhaps mm. a threat because essentially at the end of the day, this is the way I view it, the negotiations are heavy. The NRL got the front foot by putting those numbers out there. There's a lot more at stake, like you point out, the detail, the terms and conditions of what they're really fighting for here, plus yep. the money's a key factor. What's in the back pocket yeah. of the players? What's the last card that they can draw? Oh, that's that. That's it, Matty. When it comes to negotiation, the most important thing, if you want it your way, is leverage. And unfortunately for the players, I had a think about this the other day. I, you know, I, I'm sort of thinking, is it only strike action? Is that the only thing? I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the leverage is. Maybe it could be a little thing with, you know, something where they go in and say, okay, we want this. But I'll tell you what, we'll do this for the game. Right? If you, if, if, so a little bit of to and fro there. As I said before, you can't go in and want to win 100 nil. It'll get sorted out one way or another. If they, if if the All Star Game, Scotty mm. Sattler last week said on this network that he he didn't think the All Star Game was going ahead. And I've got to be honest, when Josh Adokar pulled out, the first thing we thought here because it happened while we were we were on air was, oh, hang on a second, is there a little bit more to this? If the All Star Game didn't happen, if the preseason challenge didn't happen, and then that flowed in, if there is strike action in the NRL, how much damage does that do? You know what it does oh, broadcast yeah. wise and therefore money-wise. But how much damage does it do to the game? Well, the Super League War is an example. You know, apart from the split in the game, is that just the damage it did into the in the eyes of the fans? Because at the end of the day, rugby league comes from... Rugby league's... The core of rugby league, its, its birth, was out of tough coal miners and steel workers in the north of England, and it's still got those ideals. And people like... you know, I, I just don't think fans like to hear... They like to talk about, mate, how's this bloke going to go this year? They don't like to talk about, oh, geez, I hope are the player's going to get you know, another million dollars in their salary cap. That sort of stuff. As a, the, the, the human element of the game is what it should be about, not about dollars and figures, not, not publicly anyway. Yeah, and that's the detail, the devil in the detail, right? Yeah. And that's the stuff that should happen at the table. One more on this, the state of the women's game. It's supremely yes. important, and headquarters has made it supremely important. Yet it's in limbo, mate. 
it's, it's not happening right now. There's nothing happening in that world aside from we want this, you might get that. This is the biggest concern, in my opinion. The women's game is, without a doubt, uh, stating the obvious, it's got the most uh, potential for growth. It's had the most growth in the last two years. But really importantly, if you want to sell, like, okay, I spoke before about the English Premier League. In the old Division One, you could count all the women in the stadium, right? Women is a growth area in rugby league. And we've it's always been the eternal battle in rugby league. How do we get women into rugby league to want to watch the game and turn up and watch the game. It, mate, the days are gone where you get a good-looking bloke and take his shirt off, right? And they go, oh, fantastic, go watch the game. The women's game has been a revelation. The standard of the game is just it, – it is fantastic. It is, it is so good. I'm being biased here. In my opinion, it's a lot better than the AFLW um, because the grounding. All these girls come through playing touch football and football in the young. They've got the skill set straight away. Mm. I, I – I, and this is this is a real a real concern of this of the women's game being in in limbo. Women, when you talk about the game growing outside of the east coast, the, the in my opinion it'll grow. The, the the biggest thing is through the women's game because the women's game is so good that you'll have young women in Perth or Melbourne and Adelaide watching it and going. Wow, how good is that? They start to get into the game inadvertently, bringing their boyfriends, husbands, and fathers and that into the game as well. The, not only should we be doing more with the NRLW but, and getting it on and, and trying to work out this agreement, I said to Peter Volandis last year, we need to do a Tina Turner-style commercial for the NRLW. And you broadcast it nationally and just put it on loop, spend money, so that those girls, young women in Melbourne – see that ad and just go, I want to play that game. That's good. That's sexy. Because women, young women are very different these days. Like you get there, if you go to the pub and watch the UFC, there's a lot of women there watching it and cheering on. Mm. Like the, the women's UFC is, is a big draw card and, and the rugby league should be the same through the NRLW. I think the other part too is, and you just touched on your AFLW, for instance, is that there's other competitors in the marketplace, absolute genuine competitors, and then put that into the sphere of, okay, if you're if you're a young girl who wants to play rugby league, that's your passion at the moment, and, the, and you want to make some sort of career out of that and play it professionally. At the moment, right now, you don't have any options. Yeah. You, you know where the game is and, it, and it's growing. But at the moment, there's no contract. There's no money. There's no pregnancy um, parameters around it. AFLW, whilst I agree with you, I I don't think it's a superior Mm. product to NRLW. But guess what? They've got the pathways. They've got the salary caps. They've got all their negotiations. There's a pathway straight through rugby union. So if they're not going to – I just wonder how many Mm. female competitors who love playing the game of footy – might start looking towards AFL because it's in our backyard and has been for yeah. ages. Might start looking towards rugby union. Guess you yes. can end up with a gold medal. It's been a big step backwards uh, concerning because last year I thought there was a, a game changer in the fact that the Newcastle Knights went out and poached Millie Boyle, gave her $100,000 and did amazing things for Newcastle. Newcastle win, win, the, win the NRLW competition. Uh, and you go, I, when that happened with Millie, I thought, okay, here we go. It's about to go to the next step. It hasn't. And don't forget, you can catch Matt and Maddie every Monday morning from 9 to 11 a.m. as they review all the sporting action from the weekend. On Monday as well, Maddie spoke with returning Wallabies coach Eddie Jones, 
about his ambitions for the 2023 year. Well, he's back, folks. And like I've said, the Eddie Show is back in town. Wallabies coach Eddie Jones joins us on the morning show. Good morning to you, Eddie. Welcome back. Yeah, no, thanks, mate. Uh, great to be back. And, you know, it's a great honour to be leading Australia again. So your first full week back in the job, Eddie, has much changed since you left Wallabies last time around in 2005? Uh, well, apart from personnel, uh, no, the, you know, the game's still battling a little bit. Um, but that's the opportunity to, to turn things around. Uh, certainly there's a lot of goodwill around, mate, a lot of goodwill around. Even when you were let go by England, did you think that you would ever be Wallabies coach again after what happened 18 years ago now? Yeah, I never really thought about it, mate, uh, to be quite honest. Obviously, yeah, there was a few chats about doing it further down the track, but then um, when I got the phone call and, 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 you know, was asked whether I'd consider coming back now, you know, it doesn't take you too long to answer, mate. Yeah, I, I bet we had a good chat with Hamish McLennan who, you know, talked us through the process there and according to them, they fell off their chair when you were let go by England. Now that you reflect on how that all played out, how do you, I guess, how do you recognise or or deal with what happened to you with England, taking away what then processed, uh, processed after that with Australia? Yeah, well, with England, you know, at the end of the day, mate, I've been coaching long enough to know if you're not meeting the expectations of the organisation and of the fans, then your time's limited. So, you know, we had a, a tough 2022. We didn't do as well as we would have liked. So the writing was on the wall. Um, it was the end of, you know, seven years where I had a thoroughly good time. And then, you know, I was getting all ready to basically have a bit of a bit of a coaching break. I was going to go to Japan for three months, do a bit with my old club, Suntory, help them out a bit. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're on the plane to Australia and you're in the World Cup campaign. Which is the coach's lot, isn't it? You, you've got to be ready to move and be agile, just like probably what you tell your players along the way. Was the NRL yeah. ever, ever seriously considered, Eddie? Oh, uh, look, for me it was, but I don't know for them, mate. <laughs> uh, look, you know, we've had a couple of uh, cursory chats to various sorts of people, but, you know, it'd be a big punch for them. Um, but I'd still love to do it, mate. Who knows? What was the appeal? What is the appeal to, to rugby league for you? Uh, look, I was brought up in La Perouse, which is probably the spiritual home of the Rabbitohs. Um you know, some of their greatest players came from that area, big Aboriginal population. Um, and I grew up playing rugby league. And, you know, I remember with my dad, uh, we used to go and watch South play at the Sydney Cricket Ground. We'd watch the three grades, you know, they'd kick off at 12 o'clock. And uh, the competition's got so so much better since then. And, you know, the the game you see of NRL now, if you... If you it's a fantastic game, and imagine coaching coaching in that tough competition. Is there one player, if you could put one player from rugby league into your coaching, I mean, you're always going to get asked who you'd love to sign, and there are endless possibilities. But in terms of coaching one rugby league player, is there one that you could focus on? Oh, look, the bloke was always Andrew Johns, you know. We nearly had him in 2005. Um, he agreed to come and 
at the last minute the board said no of the current players you know, there's a rugby boy called Cameron Murray who'd be pretty handy mate you know he'd be a fantastic 12 in rugby so you come back and here you go again ready to take over Australia or taken over the Australian setup already and the World Cup's not too far away and you've outlined that the game is still struggling a little bit here in Australia. So what's your position? Is it is it part coach, part salesman? Obviously, the coaching side's 99% of the job. But you understand better, I reckon, than anyone, Eddie, how much sometimes you need to sell, thing, uh, sell things. Yeah. How much was that discussed when you sat down with Andy Marinos and with Hamish and Rugby Australia? Oh, it wasn't really discussed. Um, yeah, well, I don't try to be uh, extroverted, I don't try to uh, be prominent but I I think one of the things I try to do is to tell the truth and, and um, you know, that gets into trouble sometimes mate but it also creates interest and I think as the Wallaby coach you do need to create interest, we need to create interest in the game. You know, we were over in Perth with England in June and Justin, one of the things Justin Langer said to me, he came over and watched training, he said, hey, we never hear about the Wallabies anymore. Um, and that's what we want to change because, yeah, we want those those floating fans, the fans who are looking for a national team to support, to, to support the Wallabies. You know, we don't want to take fans from Rugby League or AFL. But we want to get that swinging, swinging group of, of supporters uh, back supporting the Wallabies. You know, when we when you couldn't get a ticket to a Blazo Cup, you, know, you couldn't get a ticket for your life in the Blazo Cup 20 years ago, and now you can probably get them quite easily. And it's interesting. I find it interesting, Eddie. I said the other day that you're a master at selling what you want people to buy, and I think that that's just been part of your routine, and it is natural for you. You don't want to be controversial. You don't want to put yourself out there, but it seems to be ingrained. Where did the entertainment side of Eddie Jones come from? Where did that factor come from that's that's deep within? Because you like a laugh, you like a joke, you don't mind playing a few mind games. Uh, yeah, well, I was lucky. I had a bloke called Bob Dwyer. Uh, you know, he won the World Cup in 91 as our, as our club coach and he was such a charismatic, uh, you know, told a good story. You wanted to listen to him and I always felt if I ever coached, I wanted to be like him. Um, yeah, because they're they're the sort of people that uh, that you follow, and uh, he had such an effect on Australian rugby. You know, we want to go through that golden period again, mate. Where are you at with the playing group? How many have you spoken to? What what's the schedule been over the last what week and a bit since you've had your feet back under the desk? Yeah, no, I've caught up with the senior players by Zoom, a few of them by phone. Um, I'm out. I'm out on the been out on the weekend to watch the trial matches and and caught up with a few of them. So over the next couple of weeks, you know, I hope to see the bulk of the the World Cup squad, which is 40 players, and have a quick chat to them, see where they're at. But they're, you know, their job now is to play as well as they can for Super Rugby and then just say, you know, pick me. Play that well, you've got to pick me. That's their job. You know, players select or deselect themselves. So I'm looking forward to seeing him play Super Rugby. Yeah, and that's going to be one of the keys, isn't it, Super Rugby? Because I guess there's a whole stack of players now who might have thought they weren't in the picture under Dave Rennie, and perhaps that picture's a little bit more open now because you're here, obviously, you know, a different person with a different outlook. So what do players have to do to impress you through Super Rugby? Oh, well, I think there's a couple of things, mate. Play tough. 
Um, you know, we play a tough physical game. They've got to play tough and they've got to have an X factor, you know, whether that be a particular skill or a, a particular uh, work rate area of their game. They've got, to, they've got to show they've got that little bit extra to go from Super Rugby to Test Match Rugby. So then what's the message to your current players? Is it the same message? Yeah, stump up. Just stump up, boys. Yeah, and what, and what we want is to see winning rugby, super rugby teams. The last time Australia won super rugby was in 2014, 2015. Australia made the final of the World Cup and was beaten by a great New Zealand side. But to come second, you know, a, a pretty good effort. And, and that's what we want to see. We want to see, see the players stump up super rugby, win, beat the Kiwi sides, come into camp full of confidence, knowing that they've got their measure. And, and then, you know, it's up to us to take it on from there. World Cup. It's the focus, isn't it? That, that's, that's the reason why you are sitting where you are sitting now. But it's a long-term deal and it's a much broader deal. There's Bledisloe Cup. There's five games before you get to the World Cup. How are you going to judge your performance? Because you know that the, the fans and the punters and the critics out there will say, well, this bloke's been brought in to win the World Cup. If he doesn't, then it's a fail. How do you judge what, what you achieve in the next 12 months in particular? Well, I think there's two things, Matt. I think one's we want to win. We want to win the World Cup. Like, and you go to the World Cup, there's 20 teams and only one team successful. Um, but you can play well. And and the second prize is to play well. Yeah, and, and playing well means that every time we play, the Wallaby supporters are sitting on the edge of their seat thinking this team's playing hard for our country. Yeah, and if we do that... And if we can do both of those things, it's a great success. If we do do the first one and win, well, the second one will come. And if we only do the second one, then we've made some good improvements because maybe that hasn't been the case up uh, for a while now, and then that's what we want to make sure we do. And what about the other aspect of the job, Eddie? The the Wallaroos overseeing that entire program as well. Yeah, and no, I was just out on the last weekend on Friday at a, a luncheon raising money for the for the Waratah's women's team. Yeah, you know, I think sports changed enormously, hasn't it? Um, you know, 20 years ago, if you'd have been saying there's a Super Rugby competition for women, the Women's World Cup's going to be in Australia in 2000, whatever it is, 29. Yeah, you, know, you would have been, people would have looked at you sideways. But now, you know, women's women's sport and women's rugby, particularly, is such an important growth area. I'm going to help their coaching staff just with some of the experience I've accumulated. Yeah, it might be a selection tip. It might be a training tip. You know, just play a bit of a supervisory role with them. How's the energy factor, Eddie? How, how are you going to keep the candle going so long, burning it for so hard for so long? Yeah, no, no problems, mate. Nine and a half months. Mate, I'll still have plenty in the tank. I'll be able to go around again, mate. <laughs> I reckon you will. Right, so we've got messages there to prospective Wallabies, messages to current Wallabies, messages on the women's side of the game and the overall state of the game. So let's finish it off with a message to your fans, the fans that you've got, the fans that Australian rugby's lost and the fans that you're hoping to get back. Yeah, well, just be ready. You know, we need, we need your support. We need to win your support, but we also need you to stump up as well. And, you know, as we said, we need everyone in the rugby community, which has probably shrunk a little bit, to do their little bit. We'll be doing our bit, and if we can both do it together and meet in the middle, we're going to have a, we're going to have a good time. 
It's going to be a wild ride. We're glad you're back on our shores. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun as well. Eddie, appreciate your time this morning. All right. Good on you, Matt. Cheers, mate. The Sydney Morning Herald's Andrew Webster joined Matty in studio for the first time in 2023 to discuss the future of the All-Stars match. The future of the All-Stars, Webby. Let's take away the Latrell Mitchell-Jack Whiten incident because th- there's got to be some questions around this. I spoke to Tony Kemp yesterday who's called it nothing better than a reserve-grade match with all the pullouts. He's cynical of the pullouts as well, whether you need a freshen up or you got bitten by one of your four dogs in Nelson <laughs> asper Solomona's case. But the fact of the matter is you'd rather have it, wouldn't you? Is it more of a scheduling issue than anything else. We've just had a World it, Cup. It, well, this is the thing. So midway through last year, certain clubs pointed out to the NRL, oh, you're scheduling an, an All-Stars match for early February. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, what, what's the problem? They said, well, usually they don't have it the year after a World Cup because players finish late. And under the current collective bargaining agreement, whatever that may be, whether it's signed or not, <laughs> they're, they're, they've got to have <clears throat> six weeks before they of training, before they come back and and play, so just, they've ignored that the NRL, and as a consequence, they've had all these reasons for uh, players not participating in the match on Saturday. I thought when Josh Adokar pulled out, to me that was a, a pretty damning sign because because Fox, as we know, is a very proud Indigenous man. Um, and he he loves that match in particular. It would have broken his heart not to play in it for sure. Did you have any thoughts that he was pulling out in terms of player action, because as in it, CBA no, style? No, no, no. It was no, just no, got. No. A, I, I, think I can't go I to think, the season. I think under the under the under the uh, the current agreement, he he had or Canterbury had avenue to stop him from playing. Right. <clears throat> so yeah. I'm not entirely sure whether Fox wanted to play, but was told not to by his club. Either way, he's not playing. And I think if you look at the teams, Tony Kemp's right, they are basically glorified mm. reserve-grade teams. Like, imagine if uh, uh, imagine if the NRL did pull uh, Whiten and Luttrell out of it. Oh, then she falls it, off a cliff. It falls off a cliff, exactly. Yeah. I, I'm a real big believer in the All-Stars com- concept and was in the early years of it. Um, you know, I was always a big supporter of Preston and everything that he, Preston Campbell and what he wanted to do. And I remember the first game on the Gold Coast and the NRL were very proactive in um, how much access the media got. It was basically any journal who went up there got whoever they want. And I was lucky enough to shadow the NRL All-Stars team, which was captained by Cameron Smith. Um, but I, I got great access to the room before the game, then on the bench at half time, And then I watched the second half sitting next to Bennett. Wayne Bennett was the coach yeah. of, the, of the NRL team in his coach's box. And just to see... There's so much love around the game, you know. Yeah. The game, it's the game's very ruthless, very cynical. The grind of the NRL season it gets pretty can get pretty, uh, pretty down and dirty. But there's a lot of positives to come out of that week, mm. and I just think the NRL and the clubs and the coaches need to support it more and foster it more um, than what they're currently doing because there's been a slow erosion of a slow of decline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and I when I spoke to Kempi yesterday because I've I've spoken to a few of the players and those involved in it and what you read and see is that this is a culturally important match to those cultures and the cultural importance of it is in some ways now starting to overshadow the match itself. So what's the importance of the actual game of football in the middle of it all 
is probably the big question that they've got to answer. And on the scheduling thing about that, somebody asked me yesterday on the text webby, uh, you know, do you get excited about the All-Stars match, Matty, as you, as you did when it first came out? Back to your point. And once I started thinking about it, I thought, look, I love the All-Stars concept and I understand those that see the importance of the cultural side of it. But it also gets a little bit lost. We've got a pre-season comp starting tomorrow. Yeah. And in the middle of that, we've got a World Club Challenge. And in the middle of that, we've got points up for grabs and 100 grand. So where does this sit, this thing? So in my in my scheduling and, head... And then and then a 26-round season. Right. In my sh- And four weeks of finals. <laughs> and then some more test Stop matches. Stop it. You give me an ice cream and headache. And some origin. In my scheduling head, I go, <laughs> okay, if, if the All-Stars match is of the importance that it is or you want to make it the importance then make it the start of the season. Guess what, folks? Footy's back, and this is what we start with. Then we do some sort of pre-season. I'm not a scheduler, so I don't know where that fits. So could you fit it? Just take away all the other issues around it, but let's have a look at where you'd fit it date-wise for its um, to make it more important. Would you fit it before as a standout alone, before a pre-season, or would you now put it into one of the three buy rounds that we've got? No. No. I don't know. Can't really work out what I'm doing today, let alone in the next what the NRL should do in the next year. Um, I, I liked it where it is. I like it around this time of year, but I just think they need to be. Uh, I, I'm not that big on the. I have to say though, I'm looking forward to the preseason games this weekend. There's some crackers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's some cracking lineups. And there's too. some crack in the and there's some. They're not at full full strength, but there's some of them are pretty close. Um, I don't know. Maybe yeah. play it a week earlier. That, maybe played, they maybe played. They should have played it last weekend. That's what I'm thinking. I but mean, you're but still going. The problem is, is in a World Cup year. That's right. So like, but this is a, this is a different year compared to to most yeah. because of the World Cup. Then you're World asking Fox to play even earlier, for instance. Sure. Although then he gets another week recovery, perhaps. This is the you know the balancing game. So we got to the end of that. We don't have an answer. Uh, Mitchell Moses. So the guessing game continues on this one. So, look, it's going to go around. It's going to keep going around in circles. Eels or Tigers seems to be the most likely two, perhaps the Bulldogs. What I thought this morning was, is there a left field option? Because every time I hear hear Mitchell Moses and contract talks, I hear either stay at the Eels or go to the West Tigers. That's it. Well, the the Dogs were... We're keen on him for sure, but uh, Phil Gould came out and said no. I thought it was going to be interesting to see if that was ever going to happen because when Phil Gould was at Penrith, he said he'd never work with Isaac Moses, who is uh, who is uh, Mitchell's cousin and manager ever again, yeah. and he'd have to swallow some pride guts and deal. And, and and halfback is the missing piece in the Bulldogs puzzle from next year, isn't it? I think that's the only thing that they. But the only player he hasn't signed is a so halfback. Would you still put him on that radar? You no, know that it, no, you know no, no. that anything I, can happen. I, I mean, know just by saying you're not no longer. It's all it's all yeah. brinkmanship. It's all it's all negotiation. You know. But so as I understand it, and I think as the Parramatta understand it, the Tigers' offer is about two hundred k extra, hundred to two hundred k extra a year, which is good coin. Mm. But uh, I know Mitchell has said in the last twenty four hours that premiership premierships mean more than money. And if that's the case, then he would be mad to leave that Parramatta team. He really would. As, as much as there's good things happening at the Tigers and, I, you know, they've got Papa Lee and they've got um, Coruscant, they've got the new coaching dream team of, uh, of Sheens, Marshall and Farrah, 
I don't think that revolution is going to happen overnight. I think it's going to take some time. And it's still, the, there's plenty of doubt about just how that coaching structure is going to work and who's going to be there at the end of this season and, and when does T- Tim leave, all that mm. type of stuff. So uh, if, if you're Mitchell Moses and you want to win a comp, then you stay at the club you're at. If you're Mitchell Moses and you want to take a bit of a punt, a bit of a gamble, you want to play it a little bit differently, do you look at possibly a one-year extension with the Eels? No. For instance, and have a look around at who else might need a halfback in 2024, maybe 2025. Or you've got to keep going. No, you get a. You want the security of three years, surely, mm. at the at the least. Um, I think the fact that they've signed, they've extended Dylan Brown. That that means the world to him. I love Dylan Brown's quote. Does he want to play with Luke Brooks or me? Cop that. Yeah. Brooksy? Yeah. Put that one out there. Uh, have you got a left field option for Mitchell Moses? I'm interested if anyone out there in conspiracy land can come up with a, a left field option. Perhaps a club down the road that might need a full uh, halfback that could that could tempt Mitchell Moses in a 2025, for instance, and maybe he does a short-term deal. Not sure. I tend to agree with you at his age, where he's at. It's very rare too, isn't it, that you're the player left standing as the player in demand. The most in-demand player at the moment happens to be Mitchell Moses. He's not going to get that again, more than likely, in a year's time. For instance, it'll be the next most in-demand player. So if you can if you can find that spot in all the noise of player movement and player management and signings and all that kind of business, then you've got to strike while the iron's hot. Yes. That said, look, I think Mitchell is an gr- unbelievable player, but. I don't have him in my top halfbacks in the game, you know. I don't – but I think it says a lot about the lack of halves that are around that he's a million-dollar player. But the jury's still out on his ability to steer a team to a comp, as, we, as we've as we seen. So if he, if he – They made the if, grand final. I know they did, but they didn't win it. Beaten by a team that I would suggest would course, be pretty much any team that was coming up against him. I know, but he's, you know, he's only just starting to deliver on – the promise that he showed when he first joined Parramatta. So um, there will always be question marks about his, uh, his, mm. his uh, premiership winning ability. And former NFL punter Ben Graham joined Manny live from Arizona for the final word before Super Bowl 57. Alrighty, as we know, Super Bowl 57, you'll be hearing every single bit of it right here on SEN. Ben Graham's in Arizona and whatever you bet on, take it to the Neds level. Our Super Bowl coverage, thanks to Neds Gamble responsibly. Call one 858 Benny, good morning to you. What's happening in Arizona today? Uh, greetings, Matty. Yes, I'm in the desert in Phoenix. It's come full circle, really. It's just great to be back in Phoenix. First time back since I played for the Cardinals. And, of course, uh, reliving all the Super Bowl memories from 14 years ago. But it's... The momentum's certainly starting to build the anticipation today. Been on Radio Row most of the day with Jared Waitley. And it's been, look, it's a fantastic city. The weather is amazing. We've got two great teams that are facing off against each other. History's being made with two African-American quarterbacks playing in a Super Bowl for the first time. They are the two best teams. And we've got a couple of Aussies, Jordan Malata on the offensive line and Aaron Sipos. Well, he hasn't been given the nod yet. But hopefully later this week we'll find out that we'll have two Aussies, which will make it four in our little club with Mitch Wisnowski and now Jordan and potentially Aaron. So, no, so much to look forward to. And being on the ground here, though, it's just uh, it's the place to be, Matty. 
<laughs> it sounds like it, mate. And this is the interesting <laughs> thing when we talk to you about it because now and, and you know, for a while now you've experienced it from, from both ends. You've experienced from inside and you're now experiencing it from outside looking in. Is there a word or a feeling or a thought that captures to you what Super Bowl week leading into the game itself? Park what's going to happen in Super Bowl 57. Is there a, an overriding feel that you get leading into this big one? Absolutely there is, and it's to understand the magnitude of what you're about to embark on. So it's to enjoy every single moment, every meal that you have with your teammates, every moment you spend with your family when they arrive in the Super Bowl city. But then as the closer the game gets, the anxiety starts to build and the anticipation. So it's it's not expending too much emotional energy during the week. Because when it comes to game day, that's really when the magnitude of the game... Because coaches will say, just treat it like any other game. You've got a stadium, it'll be packed. But you know there are 100 million people around the world, hundreds of millions of people around the world, and that pressure can get to you. But, you know, you'd like to think that the experience of Aaron playing in the AFL and, and Jordan, who plays on the offensive line, he's so good at what he does. Um, but it's just a experience and, and enjoy every moment because we know I mean to make it into the NFL is a difficult prospect but to make the playoffs and then play in a Super Bowl you just have to enjoy every moment that it has to offer. So the battle of the quarterbacks is fascinating on a whole range of reasons. Patrick Mahomes going for his second Super Bowl when he's 27 years of age. Jalen Hurts in his first Super Bowl and Jordan Bailata will play a big role in that in trying to protect um, Jalen Hurts. So how do you see this one where all the focus is going to be? Well, the Philadelphia Eagles have proven themselves to be the best team throughout the year. So they've got a high-ranked defense. They've got a great offensive and defensive line. Jalen Hurts is in the MVP conversation. They've got a good running game. But the Chiefs have the best player on the field, and that is Patrick Mahomes. We know that he's over that ankle injury. And like all playoff games, I'm expecting this to be close. And if there's a quarterback in the NFL that I want the ball in their hands in the last quarter, it is Patrick Mahomes. He's got a number of weapons at wide receiver. Travis Kelsey's the best tight end in the game. I think Patrick Mahomes, if the Chiefs win, it'll be because of Patrick Mahomes. Jalen Hurts doesn't necessarily have to be the best player on the field for the Eagles to win. They've shown that. They've proven that because they've got other avenues. But for mine... It'll be an upset because the Eagles are favourites. I think it'll be the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes to win it in the last quarter and to win the MVP. And you talk about he's won a Super Bowl before and he's lost the Super Bowl. He's the only quarterback that can possibly get to the stratosphere of Tom Brady, who we know now is retired after his 35 playoff wins and seven Super Bowl rings more than any other franchise, which is just crazy. But I think this will be... This will be a game that will add to Patrick Mahomes' legacy and win his second Super Bowl. So you think it's going to go go deep, this one, and, and let's hope that it does. Do you think it's going to be a high-scoring Super Bowl or a low-scoring Super Bowl? Well, we all want to see a high-scoring game, and we may see that. But I think the way that the defense of the Eagles has been able to tear another one for the Giants and the 49ers last week, despite their injury concerns at quarterback. Uh, I think it'll be relatively low scoring early, but despite the Chiefs and the Eagles being like one and two or top five in most categories when it comes to 
the team perspective, the Eagles actually have struggled to score in the second half. Now, that might be because they've had leads and they're trying to run out games and don't necessarily have to score. But I think it'll be close. It might be a defensive struggle early. But when it starts to explode, Patrick Mahomes will be the one to lead his team for a scoring drive or the scoring drives that they need to to win this game. So, like last year, it was quite a low-scoring game, but it came down to almost the final play. So, I'm expecting something like that again. All right. So, you've given us an insight into what it's like in Super Bowl world. Give us one insight then for our listeners who'll be tuning in on Monday it's extraordinary radio, by the way, mate. And we're not just saying that because it's here and it, because it's you guys. It's fantastic. So, Jared, leading the call, you'll have Larry Fitzgerald Sr. alongside you as well. So, give me a little insight into Super Bowl commentary from your position alongside those that are going to be there and, and the little quirks that you go through throughout the, the entirety of the biggest match of the season. Well, it's a privilege to call alongside Jared Waitley because he's the best sports broadcaster in Australia, he is immensely prepared and he does it justice. He says it's like calling cricket, where there are moments in a game. It's not like football where it's continue for 27 minutes and then you have a break. So you have those moments to discuss what's just happened and then you can almost anticipate what's going to happen next so he's done he he went overseas this year he spent some time with some tv stations some radio stations again around uh improving himself in calling the nfl and i've listened to a lot of radio calls on westwood one which is the radio station over here that call the games on radio and to get an insight into what that color color analyst looks like but to have larry fitzgerald senior in the booth after playing with larry fitzgerald jr here in Phoenix for about four years. is He adds another layer, his humble nature, his knowledge and expertise. But, Matty, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, the NFL, but what I'm trying to do is raise the awareness to help people understand the game and the rules by explaining them really simply so that they can engage in it and listen to the game and really enjoy it. Because if you can't watch it, and I encourage you to take the day off and go and watch the game but if you can't watch it tune in because it certainly is a a great a great listening what is the biggest sporting event in the world on a yearly basis yeah no nah, well done mate enjoy it uh you'll enjoy every second of it can't wait to tune on in have a good one thanks for your time well it's afternoon your time enjoy the rest of your day thanks matty enjoy the game Ben Graham there, yes, uh, full coverage right here on SEN. So Monday from 9 o'clock, so we're going to have uh, the day off. I know exactly what we'll be doing. Uh, we are taking NFL to the Neds level this season. Great insights. Thanks to Neds. Thanks again for listening to another edition of The Best of Mornings with Matt White. Don't forget, Monday there will be no show, Super Bowl 57. You can listen to it right here across the SEN network. We'll be back Tuesday morning from 9 a.m.